Good morning, everyone. Those of you who are visiting us from some of the other congregations, my name is Jonathan, and it's a great privilege for me on behalf of our Willows eldership and leadership to welcome you um, this morning. It's a privilege for us to be able to host some of our congregations here in the East, and I know in the South, some of our congregations are also gathering. So thank you for taking the time out to be with us this morning, and also to our Willows congregation. Thank you for being here. It's always great to gather as a spiritual family, and I trust that this morning will be no different. This morning they will not just experience each other and the grace that God has given amongst us, but also they will turn our eyes and our focus onto Jesus, and they will experience Him. And that this morning will not just be another habitual Resurrection Sunday. I shared with the first service in preparing for this morning, I thought about, um, you know, there's some Sundays where you prepare a message, and when you come to this message or this um, gathering, it's a bit of a surprise, whatever the preacher is talking about, the theme for that morning or the topic, and, and you're surprised, or you're surprised by the scripture, but that's not the same with Easter. Easter, when you come to church, you know what the, chief, the preacher is going to speak about. Friday, it's the cross, and Sunday, it's the resurrection. And this morning, it's a bit of a spoiler alert. There's not going to be a different message. I'm not going to speak on uh, something else. I'm going to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you've been in church or you know church history, you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard the message of the resurrection many, many, many times. In a sense, I believe what I'm going to share this morning is not a new message. It's not a new revelation. But I do trust that as we gather and humble ourselves to the truth of God's Word and the truth of this moment, that it will be as if we're hearing it for the first time. Because His Word and His Spirit is alive. And even though we might be familiar with the outcome, we may never become familiar with what God wants to do in and through our lives today. And that's my heart and my hope for each one of us, that we'll experience the the resurrection message like never before. On Friday, we celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus. And I know it sounds bad to say we celebrated the crucifixion, but we focused on the death and the suffering of Jesus for our sins. And today we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate an open grave. This is a pivotal point of our faith and of huge significance to each one of us. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he's trying to explain to them the significance of this moment, the significance of this message. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. It's important. This is the, the most important thing. It's the first important thing that I passed on to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This is important. While writing to this church about the resurrected Christ, there's still people living that have seen Jesus alive. He's reminding this church, this is, not a, this is not fiction, it's not a story that's made up. There's eyewitnesses to Jesus. 
This is not another teaching. It's not another thing that Jesus shared. It's eyewitness accounts that he is alive. Remember, the church was not persecuted for the message of Jesus. The church was persecuted for the message of the resurrected Christ. He's reminding this church, there's some that is still alive that saw him. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles again, and last of all, he appeared to me also. I read this and I thought about the conviction with which Paul was writing this to the church. I've seen the resurrected Jesus. And then he goes on to explain some of the significance of this. And then in verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the pivotal and most crucial things about our faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. Now, this is great news. This is great news that Christianity uh, has a different foundation. Quickly say to the person next to you, this is great news. It's great news that the death and resurrection is the foundation of our Christian faith. If somebody told you this is great news, turn to them and say, why? Why is this great news? You can give your answers now. This is great news because this means the foundation of our Christian faith is not based on other Christians. The foundation of Christianity is not based on the behavior of Christians. It's not based on answered or unanswered prayer. And the foundation of Christianity it's not based on having all the, question, all the answers to the questions that you might have. Christian faith is based on something else. This Easter, we're doing a sermon series called Unshakable, and we're using this sermon series to remind us that the gospel is an unshakable event that had an unshakable truth that is still relevant to us today. Because of this foundation of Christianity, there's an unshakable truth that is regardless of what circumstances you might go through and face in this moment. This truth is regardless of what questions you might have about faith. This truth is regardless of what experiences you might have had with Christians and church. And this truth is regardless of what unanswered prayers you might still be trusting for. It's a foundation. And to help us understand the significance of this unshakable truth, we're going to look at the resurrection account as we find it in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible with you, I would love you to turn us. This will be the main scripture that we're going to focus at this morning, Mark 16. The resurrection account that we find here in Mark. So from this, we're going to look at why is it such a significant, why is it the foundation of our faith 
And why does it have an impact on everyone? Before we read together, let's pray. So Lord, I thank you this morning that we have eyewitness accounts of what you've done. Not just of the resurrection, Lord, but everything that you taught and what you spoke, spoke about. And Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is not just another book, but it is your word that is alive and active. And Lord, I pray that as we submit ourselves this morning to your word, I pray that you would through your spirit come and speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would come and minister to us, and may we experience the power of your word. I pray that you would help me to stay in line with the truth that you want to convey to us this morning. And Lord, lead us in your truth so that we may experience that what's your desire for each one of us. I pray this and I ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. So let's read together. Mark 16 verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. What a powerful statement. Don't you want to read that with me? He has risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. Foundation of our faith. But what does it mean? What does this simple two sentence mean? He has risen. He is not here. What does it mean? And more importantly, what does it mean? you. What does it mean to you? We might be familiar with the story, but what does it really mean to you when you hear the words, he is risen, he is not here. Jesus has risen. This means he has defeated death and done what no man has ever done before. If Jesus would have died and he remained dead, he would have been like millions before him and the millions that came after him. But that's not what happened. He is risen. He's not dead. And in that moment when Christ was rose from the dead, he proved that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. Now imagine these women coming to the grave. They are heart sore. They lost someone that they loved. They are coming dead. They are prepared to work on a dead body. They are preparing to see someone that they have loved, that they have walked with, who they, who's their teacher, their rabbi, but also who was a friend to them. This is the attitude with which they are going to this tomb, to the grave. It's part of their mourning. Imagine getting there. Not seeing a body. And then hearing the words, He has risen. What happens in that moment? 
in their hearts. When they realize, when that truth drops, that Jesus was more than what they knew. That what he said was true. He is the Son of God. Can you imagine the truth of that revelation in their heart? This was not just a story that they heard. They came there and they saw for the very first time, He is who He said He is. He's the Son of God. What happens in this spirit? It is true. It is true. He was more than just a good man. He was more than just a teacher. He was more than just a great prophet. He's the Son of God. And this sets our faith apart from any other religion because no one else has ever proven that they are the God who they say they are, except Jesus. He is who He said He is. He's the Son of God. But not only is He the Son of God, He's also the King of Kings. Ephesians 1, Paul explains this in verse 21. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, through the resurrection of Jesus, we see that he is the Son of God, but also that he is the King of Kings. Meaning that because of what he's done through his resurrection, it demands... A response. He is the highest authority in heaven and earth. And it demands a response. See, it doesn't make sense at all if we say we believe in the resurrected Jesus. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and we believe that he's the son of God and he's the king of kings. And that was not just a historical moment. It is true for us today, but our lives looks the same. It demands a response. Because he's the son of God, because he's the king of kings, and because we declare we believe it's true, it demands a response. It demands that our lives look different. How do we go? He's the Lord of all, the almighty creator, and we continue to live the same way. Floyd McClung describes the tension of acknowledging Jesus as Lord and yet choosing to live ourselves, um, live for myself in the following way. It says, in every person's heart, there's a cross and there's a throne. If I'm seated upon the throne of my life, then in fact, Jesus is dead in me, still hanging on the cross. It means I have not in, invited him to become in his resurrection power to rule over me. If I get down off the throne, take up the cross, that is, die to my ambition and need to rule over my own life, and ask Jesus to take the throne and rule over my heart, then I have made Jesus the Lord of my life. He has risen. That truth demands a response. But what's great about God, He doesn't force it on us. We can choose. We can choose if we want to embrace this truth. Not just that he was risen, but that he is the son of God and the king of kings. And we can make the decision to say, Jesus, I'm going to step off the throne of my heart. I'm going to die to myself. 
going to lay down my will, my ways, and my understanding, and I'm going to choose to make you Lord and rule over my life. And I'm going to follow you in obedience. It's our decision. So this morning we need to ask, how does the truth of Jesus' risen impacted your life? This is more than just a story. Because if we embrace him as our Lord, if we embrace him as the resurrected king of our lives and we allow him to rule, then we'll experience his resurrection life in us. And only then. Because something significant happens when we embrace him as our Lord and Savior. We receive a new spirit. We receive the spirit of God. And in that moment on the cross and through the empty tomb, there's a great exchange that took place. Every guilt and sin and every sickness and curse has been nailed with Jesus to the cross. And Jesus got everything that we deserved. But when he rose from the dead, we received everything that Jesus deserved. Resurrection life. A new life. A life free from the power of sin. A life that is in uh, communion with God. In relationship with God. We receive all the blessings that Jesus deserved. And all the promises is true in Christ for us. And if we make Him Lord because He is risen, we experience resurrection, power, and life in our soul. It's an unshakable truth. See, through Jesus, we can experience new life because not only through the resurrection that he proved that he is the son of God, but through the resurrection, he also defeated sin, sin and he defeated death. And therefore, we have new life in him. Sin has no more power over us. It means the power and authority of sin has been broken over our lives. If you were in our Willows service on Friday, I loved how Wesley shared that sin doesn't want to be part of your life. It doesn't want just a piece of your life. Sin wants to take over your life and rule your life. Well, in Jesus, sin cannot do that because the power of sin has been broken. The authority of sin has been broken over your life. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you... Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Sometimes we're quick to say Jesus is Lord, but do you believe in your heart that he is the resurrected king? That he was raised from the dead? Do you not just know the story, but in your inner being, in the deepest part of your soul, is there a truth that you hold on to? That Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God. Do you believe it? So scripture says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sin will not rule you anymore. Therefore, your life and who you are is not determined by your sin. Your future is not determined by your sin. We can live free in the victory that we have in Jesus. 
That thing that's pulling you down, that thing that's stealing your joy, that thing that's keeping you in captivity, that thing that's causing you to feel far from God is broken in the name of Jesus and it has no more power over your life. So as you're sitting here this morning, are you free from the power of sin? Is there a truth in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead? It's not just a story. It's not just fiction. It's not just a historical event. It is a truth that shapes every moment of your life. He's risen. Not only did he defeat sin, but he also defeated death through the resurrection. And this is significant. This is one of the things that we sometimes neglect to mention. And we don't like speaking about death and the afterlife. But Jesus defeated death, and therefore, the grave is not our final destination. That's not where life ends for us. And therefore, we don't have to fear death. But death is inevitable. I know there's this modern-day teachings going around that um, if you eat certain things and you live in a certain way, if you do certain things, you're going to live forever. I don't know if you've seen that. It's very... Uh, don't want to say new age, but, but it is a bit of that. A belief that you'll be able to live way beyond 100 and live forever. Well, the truth of the matter is you're going to die. Be great if you can tell the person next to you, you're going to die. It's inevitable. Because this world is not God's final destination. This is not all that God has installed for us. There's something more. There's something greater. There's eternal life that he was willing to give his life to. And the grave is not the final destination. Eternity is. And there's nothing that we have to fear when this life comes to an end. When this life comes to an end, all of us will meet our maker. It's inevitable, whether you believe it or not. But the hope that we have is that in that moment, there's nothing to fear, and that life is far greater than what we're experiencing now. That life was worth Jesus giving his life for. There's a significant difference when you speak to people who has to deal with death, when they know God and when they don't know God. Whether they are self, their selves are facing death or whether they have lost someone close to them and they're struggling with that loss, there's a different way of dealing with death when we know God and when we don't know God. When we don't, when we know God, there's always hope. There's always hope that we don't have to fear that something great, that there's a hope that even when we lost those dear to us, there's a greater place for them and one day we will see them again. When we don't know God, there's an absolute hopelessness that comes with death and anxiety for what's next. But Jesus defeated death. Well-known evangelist and preacher Billy Graham wrote the following about Jesus' resurrection. He said, Christ has risen from the dead 
And because He lives, we know Him. Oh, let's do that again. Sorry, guys. Christ has risen from the dead. And because He lives, we know. We who know Him. <laughs> it was much better in the first service. I'm so sorry. I, this is actually like an important part of my sermon. Christ has risen from the dead, and because He lives, we who know Him shall live also in the, in the resurrection. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and is alive forevermore. All over the world, churches are filled with worshipers because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. We worship a risen living Savior who has promised to give immortality to all who believe on His name. No longer do men and women need to stumble in the fog and the darkness of hopelessness. A light that shines brighter than the noonday sun, offering hope to everyone who has been born again. There's an hope because of Jesus. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. Not only will you be raised after this life, but in this life, I'm also the life. Please do go and read this scripture because after Jesus said this, he turned to his disciples and he asked a question, do you believe it? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe it? And that's the question that we need to ask us this morning. Do you believe it? See, regardless of your sin and what you might have done, regardless of what you might be feeling and thinking this morning, regardless of what you might be facing and going through in this moment, in this world, regardless of your disappointments in people and maybe even in God, regardless of your hurts and your experiences and regardless of the unanswered prayers that you're still hoping for, there's an unshakable truth. A truth that Jesus, who was fully God, became man. And He lived a life that none of us can ever live. And he died the death for sin that we deserved. And in that moment, on his death, he took the penalty of sin upon himself, that penalty that each one of us deserved. But not only did he die, three days later he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of all. And in that moment, everything changed for everyone. And because He is who He said He is, because He's the Son of God, He offers new life for every one of us who's willing to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that He is the resurrected King. To everyone who places their faith and hope in Him, He offers the power of the resurrection life where there's a hope, there's a peace in His presence, there's a forgiveness of sins, there's a transformation through His Spirit, and there's a salvation for each one of us a new life in Him if we're willing to trust Him. Get off the throne of our hearts and embrace Him as our Lord. It's an unshakable.
truth. Regardless of what you might be feeling, thinking, or experiencing. This is the unshakable truth. But is this truth your truth? It's the unshakable truth of what Jesus has done and who he is. But is it your truth? Is there a conviction in your heart that he has risen? The women were looking for Jesus and was expecting to see him there. But he was not there. The angel declared to them, he is alive and he is not here. He has risen. See, Jesus is not a historical figure or event in a book. Jesus is not still hanging on the cross and Jesus is not lying dead in a tomb. He is not there. He is alive and he is a living presence. And because he has risen, we have the privilege to know him and to walk in relationship with him because he's not there. He is here. He is alive. And what a great privilege we have to know him and experience his presence, to be in relationship with the King of Kings, the Son of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget this. Often I catch myself living as if Jesus is still there and not here. Often I get so caught up in my own worlds and my own emotions and things that's happening to me that I live as if Jesus is still in the tomb and not here. I live as if Jesus is a historical figure far from my current realities. But the truth is he is not there. He is here. See, Christianity is not knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. You might know a lot about the resurrection of Jesus. You might know the story, but do you know Jesus? Do you know the resurrected King, Son of God? He is alive, and He is here, and we may experience Him in relationship, because He's a risen. So this morning, the biggest question is, is this truth your truth? And I want to ask that we'll close our eyes, and we're going to prayerfully reflect over this. I'm going to give you a moment in personal prayer. Firstly, ask God, God, is this truth my truth? And as you're doing this in prayer, might you reflect over your life and ask the question, but is Jesus still hanging on the cross? Or is he seated at the throne of your heart?
morning, I want to pray for everyone that has never embraced this truth as their truth. For everyone that has never gone and said, you are my God, my King, and my Lord. If you're sitting here this morning and you realize that you've never made the decision to make Jesus the King of your life, embrace Him as your Savior, as the Son of God, I want to pray with you this morning. If you want to say, Lord, I want to get off the throne of my life and allow you to lead. I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you. I want to ask that you would just, as a form of response, raise your hands. Just raise your hand. I do believe that in this moment, God sees the sincerity of your heart, but I want to ask that you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge in this moment that I need you. Lord, I want to repent of my sin. Lord, I want to repent that I've taken control of my life and lived for myself. I want to ask, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my sin and self-centeredness? Lord, in this moment, I declare that I believe you are the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. And in my heart, I believe that you were raised from the dead. Therefore, Lord, I ask that you would be my Lord. May you sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me for my sins. And I pray now and I ask, may you by your spirit bring new life to my soul. May you give me the strength to follow and honor you as the Lord of my life. I'm handing over control, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I want to thank you for what you're doing in this moment. Thank you for what you're doing by your spirit. Thank you for that you are restoring their soul and bringing new life to their soul. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins, Lord. But I also pray now for your resurrected power to be alive in their hearts, that you would do something new in this moment, Lord, that you would rip them from the power of darkness and the power of sin into the light and that they will experience the victory and freedom that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that there's an eternal safety in you. And Lord, I pray now that you would awaken the hope and the joy in their hearts that we find in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for where you are and what you've done. I also want to pray for a second group of people. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and you follow them, but somewhere along the line, something has grown just gold in your heart. Somewhere you've taken, you've taken over the control of the throne of your heart. Maybe you've been through some disappointments. Maybe you've experienced some form of loss and, and there's just something that has grown cold. The truth that He is the resurrected God has grown to a historical event they're not a significant truth if that's you if you say this morning Lord I want to embrace again 
the truth that you are risen. And I wanna live my life according to this truth every moment that I wanna pray for you. And I wanna ask, almost as a sign of the resurrection, how Jesus rose from the dead, that you would stand up. Courage and boldness, stand up and say, God, I'm trusting you for the rejuvenation of my soul. Lord, you're seeing every person that's standing in this moment, Lord. You know exactly what they are facing. You know exactly what they've gone through, Lord. You're exactly where they are in terms of their hearts, their minds, and their emotions, and their circumstances. And Lord, I pray in this moment that you would be greater than those things, Lord. I pray that you would awaken your presence in their hearts now, Lord. Make them aware. Holy Spirit, come and minister to them now, Lord. And I pray for the strengthening of their soul, Lord, as they surrender and give back control unto you. I pray that you would do something of great significance in their heart. Lord, may you bring peace in this moment. Just make them aware that you are with them. Lord, I pray for the strengthening of their soul. And as you gave the disciples courage and boldness to faithfully proclaim your word, I pray that you would give them courage and boldness to become the men and women that you created them to be. May they step into your perfect will for their lives, Lord. And may you, by your spirit and your word, bring a sanctification to their soul so that they be, be, grow back into the image that you've bestowed on them. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I just sense as we're praying for some of you standing here, there's a, there's a sense of a healing beyond the healing of your soul. There's a healing for your body that needs to take place. And by the authority of Jesus, I speak healing over their life. I pray now, Lord, that in your faithfulness and your sovereign will, that you would bring healing. In your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you to those of you who stand. Let's give all of them a hand. I really do trust and hope that not only that you experience Jesus now, but that you would experience its transforming power in your life. That you would walk from this place, changed person, because He is risen. We're going to end this morning a little bit different, and we're going to share in communion. And I'm going to talk us through this. This is a special occasion for us, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and therefore we're going to do it a little bit differently. And I want to ask, Jesus is alive, He is risen, and therefore He is here. And whenever we share in communion, it's not a habitual thing that we just do in church. It's not just something that we have to do because it's part of the sacraments. It's a moment where we have the privilege to commune with God. It's a deeply spiritual moment and a personal moment. Therefore, this morning, we're going to do it differently because He is alive. And we're going to remind ourselves that He is here. He's given us His Spirit, and through His Spirit, we may experience Him. Communion is a moment where we remind ourselves of the privilege that we can commune with God, that He is alive. And before Jesus was captured and crucified, He installed this moment with His disciples, and He said, you must use this to, uh, as a remembrance of 
who I am and what I've done and what I promised to do. And they might not have fully understood it in that moment, but now with us knowing the story and we reflect back, we know and we do this to remind ourselves of who He is, what He has done and what He promises to do. Because sometimes we struggle with spiritual amnesia. Sometimes we forget. We get caught up in this world and things that we go through and we forget. And therefore we commune with God. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he took bread. And he broke the bread in front of them. And he said this, when you use it, is a sign so that you would remember my body was broken for you. On the cross, you will see me suffer. And in that moment, know that as I'm broken, it was for your sin. The bread is a sign of the body of Christ, broken for our sin. But then Jesus took the drink. He said, but as you share in this, remember that this was my blood that was shed for you. And through my blood, there's forgiveness of sin and restoration for each one of you. Remember who I am, what I've done and what I promised to do. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to remind ourselves. So I want to ask that you'll stand with me. And we're going to do this in a very specific way because Scripture says we may confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts. So this morning it's going to be a confession with our mouths. And I want to ask that we'll read together and then partake in this sign. So let's read together. The bread represents Let's also partake in the sign of the drink. This drink, this drink represents Christ's blood that was shed for me through His blood. As we share in this science, do you want to take a moment of personal prayer? Stay where you're standing. Just thank God. And Lord, as we thank you in this moment, I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us, minister to our hearts. So let's just use this moment to reflect on him, what he has done, who he is, and what he promises to do. Lord, I pray that in this moment that you would by your spirit do something in us as a church, Lord, that it will never be just about us, but it will be about you and for your glory and for your name's sake. And therefore, Lord, I pray this morning that you would do something by your spirit in our hearts and our souls, that you would raise a courage and boldness to do, go tell the world that there's an unshakable truth, the good news that you are alive, Lord. And I pray now for opportunities for us to speak to people, to minister to people. Lord, I pray, and we unveil ourselves. We submit ourselves to your will. And we ask, Lord, may you use us. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate that what you've done in our lives this morning. And may you continue to work in us. 
But Lord, may others benefit because we came together. May the, your kingdom be expanded because we came together as a church, Lord. May others benefit you because we knew you. Lord, I pray for the outflow and the establishment of your kingdom through every person that stands here this morning. And Lord, out of thankful hearts, we say thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to promise to do. We love you, Lord. It's about you and you alone. And all of us say, Amen, Amen.